Okay, so welcome back. Just making sure people are back in your chairs. Put your screens on if you're around, ready to go. So, I was thinking about this theme of paradox and I went downstairs and I got these two little furry fuzzballs called cats and um, you know when they sleep they just look like these little angelic beings of fluffy love and then the paradox going from that to then being this wicked hunters <laughs> and stealth predators and um, they hold a lot of paradox as we all do so um, I think paradox is one of those themes that uh, Dharma teachings point to in different ways and in, in over the centuries. I think in the later um, tradition in the Mahayana Vajrayana, particularly the Mahayana, which was the sort of wave of Buddhism that came maybe five, six hundred years after the Buddha was teaching. Um, and a lot more paradox expressed in some of that understanding of the nature of reality. And um, so I want to speak to some of that. And I was thinking that inviting you to listen to this talk as poetry um, and letting the words, just like the way the, where the fog here comes in and just sort of gently permeates the forest and the leaves and rain drenches dry fuel just let the words kind of wash over you you don't need to hang on or, or understand or catch everything but just relax as in the meditation and um you know we're here dharma teachings are here to help us understand and illuminate our experience our humanity but also nature of reality and one facet of reality, in my experience, and as pointed to in the teachings, is paradox. So we study our life, our body, heart, mind, our experience to illuminate that. And in illuminating the personal, we encounter the universal nature of experience. We, we orient towards the conventional nature of experience, me and you and us and them and this and that that discloses something much more profound than the particular separate uh, experience. And so, you know, just as we meditate, we can see how very personal and unique in particular our experiences, feeling of grief, itch, tenderness, mind stream, awareness, etc. And also how universal it is, how impersonal it can also be too. It's just nature living through us. So, and when we turn our attention to paradox and, and, and the mystery of experience, it, op it opens kind of like a portal to different dimensions of experience. This is a quote from uh, Hamid uh, Almas, one of my teachers. He said, paradox silences the mind the mind can't solve it. When the mind can't solve it, just like when uh, the mind can't solve a Zen uh, koan, 
it forces it, it kind of almost like breaks the mind open into some deeper understanding. And we can explore paradox in many different ways. We're living in times of great paradox. We're living in this, what Joanna Macy would call the time of the great turning, where we're, you know, encountering through science and biology and the natural sciences and many other astrophysics. And we're discovering so much about the mysteriousness and the miraculousness and the intelligence and the brilliance of life and evolution and, um, and intelligence in, in all life forms. And yet here we are also at the precipice of seeing those those ecosystems and species being destroyed in an unprecedented rate. We're moving into the sixth great extinction. Now, I spent, I, I lead nature meditation retreats, as, as many of you know, and I was leading this beautiful uh, day-long hike here in Marin. Uh, it was a day of mindful hiking and, and Winter in Northern California was sort of like spring. In most places it was pleasant and sunny and green lush grass everywhere and wildflowers were starting to bloom. And it's paradoxical. It's, we're in the middle of winter and we're in also in the middle of a, of a long drought. Yeah. And so we can go out into nature and one of the paradoxes of our time, and, and it's coined by an eco-psychologist in Australia, this word solostalgia, where we feel both love and joy in nature, but we also feel grief and loss at what's happening to, to, to species, to ecology, to oceans, to natural places. You know, we're living in, in political times where, you know, here we are in this country. I'm not from here, but I live here. Um, you know, that's sort of bastion of democracy and yet at the same time democracy and democratic institutions and political rights and vote, voting and access is being eroded as we as we sit here so from the perspective of practice paradox requires and the, the paradox in life just as in life in general requires us it requires a very broad spacious perspective to, to hold it all to hold the polarity, to hold balance, to hold seemingly contradictory and quizzical um, uh, nature of experience. And I'm going to ex go into many different ways that we can know paradox and how we might attune to that through our practice. And I pointed that some in the meditation, you know, how we try to be mindful, we cultivate attention moment to moment, and we pay attention to our breath and our body and sounds, feelings, thoughts, whatever it is we're attending to. And yet we can't be anywhere else but here. Where else are we? Where else is experience happening except here and now? When our attention, uh, when we recognize that we've lost awareness, and that very recognition awareness has, has, you know, is, is we realize awareness is here. There's awareness knows that we were lost in thought. So, and, and broadening that to the sense of the path, 
Right? We, 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 you know, there's this, the Buddha talked about path, noble eightfold path, sense of me being here and the goal, awakening, nibbana, whatever we stand of as the path of illumination and of somewhere over there. And the, the, the challenge with the, the metaphor of the path is it, is it in, in creates this spatial metaphor and yet all we're, we're only here. It seems like we're going in a particular direction, but we're not going anywhere but here. There's a, there's a deepening into being here. A line from Rumi that sort of points to this in, in a more poetic way. He says, "Live in the nowhere that you come from, even though you even though you have an address here. Live in the nowhere that you come from, that you came from." Right? And so we're on this path, and we're practicing, and we're cultivating mindfulness, mindful attention, even though we're always right here. Awareness is always aware of something in this moment. And we're cultivating qualities and practices. And at the same time, there's also a fundamental understanding that we're okay just as we are. We're not trying to fix, and enlightenment doesn't happen through fixing and improving this personality. It arises through understanding the truth of our nature, and that the personality is not who we are. And yet... We also cultivate qualities, cultivate kindness and compassion and love and care and energy and focus and many other things. And so that, that in itself is a paradox. How do we hold that there's a certain sense of completion and perfection right here, right now? There's a line that gets attributed to Suzuki Roshi, great Zen master, who said, um, "We are you. You are perfect just as you are. You are perfect just as you are, and you could all do with a little improvement. You're perfect just as you are. We could all do with a little improvement. See which side of the paradox you listen to." Perfect just as you are. Oh no, I need to improve a little bit. Oh, I need to improve a lot. I improve a lot, a lot, a lot, and then I might be okay. Both are true. There is perfection and brilliance and intelligence right here, right now, in everything. Goodness in everything. And cultivation is also wise, you know, healthy to grow qualities. The, The... oak tree outside my window that I meditate by most days. Beautiful just as it is. And it grows and it develops and it reaches towards the light in the same way that we might do. When I first started my journey, my Dharma practice in England, in London in the 80s, and I joined a Buddhist group and very much had this notion of path, of path of practice, and that awakening and realization and, and, and whatnot was, was lifetimes and lifetimes and lifetimes away. It seemed like this impossible, insurmountable task. I'd have to come back 
for eons cultivating, perfecting, and maybe that's true. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> maybe we've been doing this a very long time. And then after many years, I went to India and uh, Asia and studied with different teachers. And the first Vipassana that I teach that I study with in, in Bodh Gaya in the early 90s, you know, he was very passionate talking about the imminence of awakening, the possibility of, of realization right here, right now. Where else would it happen? Not in some future life, in some eon, in some you know, cultivation of lifetimes and this and that, but right here, realization, awakening, understanding, clarity, wisdom, only happens here, in this very body. It's a beautiful teaching from, uh, I think it's Hakuin, Song of Realization, where he says, all beings are by their very nature Buddha. All beings by their very nature are Buddha. As ice by nature is water. Apart from water, there's no ice. Apart from human beings, no Buddhas. How sad that people ignore what's so near and they search for it afar. The line that goes throughout much of um, Chinese um, Chan teachings. If you look for the truth outside of yourself, it gets further and further away, Han Shan, the poet says. All beings are very, by very nature Buddha. Your your nature is 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 awake. Buddha nature. Buddha means to be awake. You have that nature to be wakeful, awake. What's it like to let that in? That your nature is Buddha nature, is wakeful. And then when someone came up to the Buddha after his awakening and asked, who are you? He was radiant, as you can imagine. Someone having attained full realization, being a meditator and ascetic for many years and was this beautiful, handsome, radiant, awake being. And uh, this young man who was kind of befuddled by what, you know, was this some kind of god? And he asked him, you know, you're a deva, you're a spirit, you're a, you know, God and the, the Buddha said no, and then the man said, well, "What are you?" He says, "I'm awake. I'm awake, Buddha. I'm awake." So we all have that innate Buddha nature, and the paradox is also that nature gets very obscured, very inaccessible, very hard to find. Sometimes when we're feeling small and contracted and reactive and selfish and mean and jealous and longing and fearful and whatever afflictive states cloud that innate wakefulness. But that innate wakefulness doesn't go away just like the, the, the sun or the sky doesn't disappear because of clouds, it's just temporarily obscured. So we can see that as we meditate, or even just sitting right now, as I was pointing to awareness. That awareness is one of those mysteries of life, one of those great paradoxes. Right? No awareness, no knowing. No knowing, no understanding. No understanding, you know, good luck. 
No awareness, you wouldn't be present to what's happening right now. You wouldn't be knowing these words or looking at this screen. You wouldn't make, be able to make sense of the sense data that your senses are receiving and your brain's processing. This awareness is your very nature, closer than your own skin. Clearly present, knowing, cognizing, illuminating. But what is it? Where is it? Show me awareness. Okay, everybody now show me awareness. Come on. Reveal, the big reveal. Where is your awareness? Right. What is awareness? Right. We cultivate awareness, mindfulness, knowing, clarity. Maybe some of you, I know some of you for decades been coming cultivated spirit rock and practicing. Well, what is this mystery of awareness that's transparent like the sky, vast, spacious, but cognizant, knowing, clear. Right now, look to your own mind. What is this awareness? Where is awareness? Longchenpa, great Tibetan master, wrote, Awareness is always refreshing itself, always newly arriving. You can neither obtain this awareness nor can you lose it. You can neither obtain awareness, you can't grab it, you can't find it, you can't own it, you can't grasp it, nor can you lose it. It's mysterious, it's a paradox, it's right here. So what happens when we attune to some of these paradoxes of practice? It can't be anywhere else but here. All experiences are rising here, even though it seems infinite amount of times that we disappear from here, that we seem to lose touch with the living, visceral, sensory, physical, present. They were always here. Same with the paradox of time. Just pointing that to that a little in the meditation. There's the sense of things coming and going, the sense of things appearing and disappearing, breath, inhales, exhales, sensations come and go, sounds arise and are known. And yet there's also a timeless quality where that sort of transcends the coming and the going, that transcends the appearing and the disappearing. We can sense the timelessness of awareness that neither comes nor goes. It's just here. T.S. Eliot once wrote, the eternal, the eternal is outside of time, yet it is only in time that the fruits of spiritual liberation can manifest. The eternal is outside of time. How can eternity be in time? Time's a concept, it's a construct. And there's an eternal nowness. Yet it's only in time, only here, that the fruits of spiritual liberation can be known, can manifest. And I read some of these wisdom teachings from T.S. Eliot. It's like a contemporary Buddha. 
Same with space. Right here we are scattered across the world: Australia, Canada, North America, probably beyond. Right, and there's thousands of miles that separate us, right? and yet here we are in presence. Present. Of course, you're not physically here. I can't touch you. Right? But that sense of space is both vast and also intimate. And we can sense how everything is right here in this moment, all space, all all space and all time, not separate from this ordinary moment. Another way of exploring the paradox of space is when you're moving. I like to reflect on this when I'm driving or when I'm flying. It's not cool to admit you fly these days, but you know sometimes I do. I go visit my family in Europe, and <clears throat> but it's fun to, to notice that when you're driving. When you're driving, and it seems like I'm going from my house to Spirit Rock, which I did the other day. Um, I drove past Spirit Rock. And yet, when we're driving, and the next time you're in a moving vehicle, know that you're not going anywhere. You're just here. Like life is streaming past you, and you're just here. You're flying 600 miles through the sky, and you, there's just a here-ness. It's a paradox. Or the ways that our, our brain and our mind make sense of our senses. The way we hear a sound out there. I was listening to some beautiful birds this morning as I was guiding my sunrise meditation. And the bird was on the tree over there making a sound, as birds do, with the vibration of bones and other mysterious things that they do to create sound. And where is that sound? Is the sound over there? Is the sound in my inner ear? Is it in my brain processing it? Is it in my body registering the vibration of sound? And so when we start to unpack our experience, unpack reality, it's not, as the Buddha said, it's like a magician's trick. It has an appearance. And as he said, um, things are ever other than is so. Things are ever other than they appear. Seems like the sound is over there coming from the bird, from the tree. But the sound is known here, in the ear, in the mind. The same with the, with sight. We see we have these amazing uh, organs of sight, the eyes, and the sense perception of seeing. This is mysterious, and so much of our brain and taken up with understanding, processing visual data. It's miraculous that we can see anything. And it seems like what I'm seeing out there is real, is exactly 
what I see is actually what's out there. What we're seeing is light hitting our retina and signals going to the brain and our brain making sense of that reality and reconstructing, recreating in a way what we're seeing. So are we, what we're seeing out there, out there, or are we seeing the impressions from our mind, our brain? There's a, one of the Tibetan schools, the Yoga Charan school, translated as the mind-only school, that everything that we see is mind-created. That's a paradox. So as I said, listening to these words as poetry, just letting this understanding, just kind of like just whatever touches you, touch you just as an invitation to inquire, not as dogma. In the same way, we have the paradox of, our, of experience around us. So what's often pointed to as a great metaphor for this in the, the seeming solidity but insubstantial nature of experience is a rainbow. Right? A rainbow seems very real. It's up there in the sky. It's curved. It's got seven colors. It's you know, it feels like you would touch it. And of course, we know the rainbow is just a coming together of certain elements of moisture and light in a particular configuration. And so there's no there there. It's just an appearance. It seems real. And, and that metaphor is used to describe anything and everything. It seems, everything seems so real in the way that our mind constructs reality. The tree, look at a tree. I look at the oak tree outside my window here, which you can't see now, it's dark. And it seems, it's a tree and it seems like it's over there and it's a separate thing, discrete. Right? But we know that tree is just this stage of life, of elements, right? the combination of water elements, of rain, of earth, of metabolizing energy from the sun through the leaves stored in the roots. And so it's this, it's this particular, if we could see with a different lens, a different lens of reality, we would see the tree as this mass of changing uh, elements of water, fire, earth, air. And as the Buddha taught this practice of the elements to one way of sort of understanding our experience with just this temporary coming together of elements. In the same way that I was teaching the other day when I was... Um, reflecting on Thich Nhat Hanh's life and teachings and then, and then held up a piece of paper as he would do and you say, what's that? And you say, oh, it's a piece of paper. Duh, stupid, why don't you know it's a piece of paper? <laughs> and he'd say, yeah, it's a piece of paper. What else do you see? He said, I see forests and I see rain and I see clouds and I see sunlight and I see you know, loggers and paper mills and the history of printing and stars exploding and stardust and gravity and, and it's a paradox and it's a piece of paper we know it in conventional reality 
relative reality is a piece of paper. Ultimate reality is something much more mysterious. This confluence of life and elements that happens to have constellated here for the moment into that piece of paper. So, and so, so Dharma teachings point to some of these ways of, of shaking up our fixed perceptions because we get very stuck in our view of this is how it is. That tree's over there. I'm here. You're there. And all that other stuff is nonsense. But we bring that same awareness to ourselves, right? So in Buddhism, it's a lot of understanding what is this thing called me, called I. Seems very real. It's body, it's here. It says my glass and my laptop, and it's very real. Now, when we also look with a little more curiosity and awareness investigation, we say, oh, well, is this sense of me findable? I'm both here and not here. I'm both substantial and insubstantial. Definitely impermanent, definitely aging, <laughs> definitely changing. Um, it's from Carla Rinpoche's well-known teaching he says we live in illusion and the appearance of things we 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 live in the in the belief in the fixed appearance of things right we this thing that i used to hit the bell with that we might call a, I don't know, a striker or a bell stick or whatever i'm not even sure what it's called and we think oh that's the bell stick but it's, you know, it's a piece of wood and it could be innumerable things. Right? But we, we, we fixate on this concept. Oh no, that's the bell gong thing. Well, it's just, it's actually just some, a particular form of wood that will no doubt end its way back into the compost pile. We live in illusion in the appearance of things. There is a reality. You are that reality. When you discover this, you will see that you are nothing. And being nothing, you are everything. That is all. We live in illusion in the appearance of things. There is a reality. You are that reality. When you discover this, you will see that you are nothing. And being nothing, you are everything. Being nothing as in we're not this fixed, independent, self-existing thing that we take ourselves to be. And in that, when we see that we're not separate, we see we're actually part of the matrix of life, no different than a tree, a blade of grass, a stream, the breeze. And we're just part of this earth expressing itself through form. And we can feel this paradox in very real ways, right? We can feel times, especially in these pandemic times, the times we have periods of health, we feel strong and resilient. And you know, and then we get sick, we get cold that are going around. I was sick last week, we, COVID happens and we, 
this paradox of being strong and also incredibly vulnerable. My dear friend and neighbor was very close with a friend his age in his early 50s and got a surprise diagnosis in five weeks. He died of cancer. So we live with this paradox of mortality, of feeling like we're going to live forever, or some at least love for the foreseeable infinite future. And, and yet we know, of course we know, that life is very transient and mortal. But when we don't live with that paradox, we believe in appearances, like I'm going to stay around. I love looking at the paradox of beauty in nature. And when I say beauty, I, I mean the, the beauty in the, the paradox and the transfiguration of life, finding beauty both in spring, in where we, I am now, in the sort of this, this fullness of life, of grasses and seeds and blossoms and um, flowers and, and, and also the beauty of decay and the beauty of fall and the beauty of seeing bleached bones and skulls and the leaves turning this themselves into the humus of the, of the land. And the earth is such a great teacher because it invites us, it evokes in us deep love, deep joy, deep connection, deep awe, awe and, and delight. And it's also, she teaches us about not holding on, not being attached, about letting go. Right? And as a species living at this time, we're having to let go of a lot of what we held dear, forests and clean air and plastic-free oceans, and healthy ecosystems, and all kinds of things. Beautiful poem from Mary Oliver in, um, I think it's called, in Blackwater Woods. And she says, every year, everything leads back to this, the, the white fire of loss, whose other side is salvation, who, whose meaning none of us will ever know. To live in this world, you must be able to do three things, to love what is mortal, to hold it against your bones as if your own life depends on it. And when the time comes to let it go, to let it go. That's paradox. To live in this world, you must be able to do three things, to love what is mortal, to hold it against your bones as if your own life depends on it. And when the time comes to let it go, to let it go. So we live in these transient times. And we can turn away and close down out of fear. Or we can open and feel the vulnerability of being human living in this paradox paradoxical world of regeneration and loss. And of course, the ultimate teacher in that is death. And one of the great Buddhist teachers, Thich Nhat Hanh, as I mentioned, passed a few weeks ago. 
95, beautiful legacy of Buddhist teaching. For He was a monk for the last 80 years and gorgeous, simple, profound teachings, particularly around paradox, actually. And I want to read something that I think is a beautiful um, expression of paradox, death being one of the most profound paradoxes that we all have to contemplate. He said, he was writing some years before his death, um, before his stroke, he said, this body of mine will disintegrate, but my actions will continue me. If you think I am only this body, then you have not truly seen me. When you look at my friends, you see my continuation. When you see someone walking with mindfulness and compassion, you know he is my continuation. I don't see why we have to say I will die because I can already see myself in you in other people and future generations. Even when the cloud is not there, it continues as snow or rain. It is impossible for a cloud to die. It becomes rain or ice, but it does not become nothing. The cloud doesn't need to have a soul in order to continue. There's no beginning and no end. I will never die. There will be a dissolution of this body, but that does not mean death. I will continue always. So let those words wash in the, the profound intimacy of knowing that right, opens up a sense of freedom, of fearlessness that he expressed in his life, in his peace activism during the Vietnam War and afterwards. And so it's partly why we turn to these very sometimes difficult, obscure, profound, subtle teachings and perceptions, right? Like paradox is subtle, but it's everywhere. And out of that, one of those, so what arises out of that is wisdom clarity and out of wisdom and clarity comes compassion right? it allows us to move in the world and to meet ourselves and each other and suffering with more clarity as t.s Eliot said teach me to care and not to care and teach me to hold the world with love but also with equanimity, knowing the reality that the nature in this life is to come and go, to birth and to die, and there's inevitable beauty and loss in that. In the same way as parents, we cherish and love and protect and nurture children and grow into young adults and adults and leave and and also having to make space for them to evolve and to move on and to make mistakes and to hold lightly and yet lovingly. It's living in an ecological, in time of ecological crisis, knowing that we're, you know, we're leaning into these, these tipping points, these unstoppable, um, processes that will make it very hard for us to to mitigate any of the destructive impacts that we're, we're unleashing on the world through our human activity and yet we act we care for the earth we 
We plant our gardens, we raise hell with politicians, we protest and divest and do what we can to protect the earth, even though what will happen with our actions, who knows, and it's way bigger than this and will certainly go beyond our lifespan. It's the paradox of that story of the two men walking along the beach and there's a big storm and there's thousands and thousands of starfish washed up on the shore and I've seen that in various places. And they're walking along and as they're chatting, one person's throwing back one starfish at a time, you know, really a drop in the bucket of the vast life that's been washed up. And his friend says, what are you doing? Like, you're never going to be able to help them all get back in the sea. It's too much. It's too big. What does it matter? You know, you throw the odd one back and then man, his friend picks up starfish and says, well, it matters to this one. The intimacy of mattering to helping that bumblebee that gets stuck inside your house or that child who needs help or tending to yourself and your own particular vulnerability. It matters in the moment. Another great paradox with, with this movement of the heart from Lao Tzu, he says, if you want to eliminate suffering in the world, then eliminate all that's harmful and negative in yourself. Truly, the greatest gift you have to give is the gift of your own self-transformation. And so as we practice, we practice with this paradox. We practice opening to the human experience. We practice opening to pain. Who wants to feel pain? Who wants to feel suffering? Who wants to feel vulnerable and lonely and anxious and fearful and hatred and jealousy and deficiency? Okay? But that's what we're invited to do as a human being, as a meditator, as a practitioner, as one who's cultivating awareness and compassion. If we don't open to that, what happens? It just it goes underground, it eats away at us, we don't understand it, we can't learn from it, we can't bring compassion to it, we can't free ourselves. And so we go through the tender, difficult, the, the tender, the vulnerable, the painful, you know, as Leonard Cohen talked about, the light where the crack where the light gets in, right? That's how we heal through going into some of those difficult, deep, painful places. And I've certainly walked that myself over these years. So the invitation is for you to pay attention to where is paradox living in you, manifesting in your life in your practice, and, and having a spacious, wide lens, wide view, um, not fixing to any view. We, you know, we're living in this time of incredible division and polarity and othering, and living with paradox means we actually need to open to, 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 all, you know, to the whole spectrum holding whatever position and perspective lightly because it's only one side of the coin. Not, not attaching to preferences. Not fixing on particular beliefs or views. So I'm going to close with a well-known teaching from the third Zen patriarch. 
Um, and I'll just, we just read a few lines from that. It's a beautiful teaching, I think, on holding paradox. He said, the great way, this great way, this path we're on, is not difficult for those who have no attachment to preferences. Make the smallest distinction, however, and heaven and earth are infinitely set apart. If you wish to see the truth, then hold no opinions for or against anything. To set up what you like against what you dislike is the disease of the mind. Indeed, it is due to our choosing to accept or reject that we do not see the true nature of things. Live neither in the entanglements of outer things nor in the inner feelings of emptiness. So we rest in what in Zen they call the don't know mind, not knowing mind. And being open, being curious, and being open to being touched by the mystery. So actually, I want to close with one last um, word from T.S. Eliot, since I've been drawing on some of his teaching. He says, every experience is a paradox. Every experience is a paradox in that it means to be absolute and yet is relative. In that, it somehow always goes beyond itself and yet never escapes itself. Every experience is a paradox in that it somehow always goes beyond itself and yet never escapes itself. So we can look at this for me, the, the doorway for that is in nature. I can look at a leaf, or a stone, or a rose petal, or a bone, or a feather, or anything. Pine needle, bark, cloud. And as he's pointing to, it's a paradox in it. It's, 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 it never, it is what it is, and it's also beyond itself. It's much more than that particular thing. And as John Muir said, you touch one thing and everything in the universe moves. Everything is profoundly connected, interrelated, interwoven. And so when we look at a leaf, it's not just a leaf. It's just taking that hand it's sunlight and rain and evolution and stardust and beauty and mystery. So I invite you just to um, to to begin to play with looking at uh, yourself, at experience, and meditation, life, each other, the world, nature. In with that, with this lens, what mystery is being invited of you, or asked of you to notice, to behold? All right, friends. Well, um, that's all I have to share for now. So, and I'm aware of the time and it's been a long talk. So, um, I was thinking I would take some questions and I'm happy if you want to share any reflections, um, uh, in the chat. Um, but I'm just mostly going to wrap up here and just say how nice it was to be with you and to share these time teachings practices um i didn't hear what Ileana was mentioning in the beginning but um 
a couple of things about myself that I am I'm a nature lover as you know and I'm this week I have a, a daily sunrise meditation practice that I've been leading uh, um, was on zoom for almost two years now through the pandemic just supporting people to have access to nature teachings and um, uh, that's still available um, and you can go through to, I'll just put that in the chat, you can go to the awakeinthewild.com website and um, you can sign up for free to join me there this week, 7.30 in the morning Pacific time. And otherwise go to my website, markcom.org if you want to know about whatever teaching I'm doing. Lots of nature retreats this year, I'm happy to say. All right, friends. Be well, may our practice be for the welfare of ourselves and for others. And um, let's, uh, if Jesse, if you can allow people to unmute themselves and we can just say goodbye to each other. Okay, thanks friends. Mm-hmm.